right, another Rags to Riches Secrets. I'm going to take and break down. This is a follow-up from what we did yesterday. Yesterday, we did Rags to Riches Secrets. We said the 39 steps of high-performance selling and closing with a 95% confidence rate. This is actually part two of three. So today, we are going to cover part two of three. And so, why, why does this matter? And that's probably a good question. I spent, when I first started out selling, it, it took me a long time to figure out how to help people buy. And in the beginning, like nobody bought and I couldn't figure out why. What I really discovered is, is it's like people buying stuff, it's actually a science to be able to sell. And if you actually understand the step-by-step -step plan, it will save you tons of time and tons of effort and tons of money. Now, like when I first started out, literally, I just about went broke not being able to know how to sell. And as I spent time, I studied books, I took classes, I went to trainings, I started, I really ended up having to do a really deep dive. And right here, I'm giving you the culmination of the secrets I discovered on how to be able to successfully sell, okay? So yesterday, on the previous podcast, it's podcast episode number 39, we covered steps one through 11. This time, we're gonna cover the next section. I broke it up into three chunks. So this next section, this is actually when you're in the presence and you're actually met with a customer. The previous podcast talked about steps and things that you do to set the appointment so that you can meet with, that, with Mr. Prospect, okay? This is how do you meet with the prospect and close the deal, okay? And on the following uh, part number three, I'm going to go through a troubleshooting guide. And I'll take it, I'll walk you through it. It's a troubleshooting guide. What happens during the sales process when you get stuck and you need help figuring out how to get this, get this, this deal closed, okay? So here we go. Um, you're sitting with the customer, you're meeting with the customer, here it is, the next 18 steps to be able to close the deal. Okay, first thing I always do is always be able to call the customer by name. This is one of the things that I do that differentiates how I've approached people versus how other people have approached people. Like I just do just a, a hint of due diligence to discover what this customer's name is. This gives you actual power in this communication with the customer. So. I, I always try to find out a few important facts in advance of meeting with the customer. So number two, this is like I didn't I didn't really understand the power of number two until I until I started implementing this. And what it is is if you can get a customer to laugh, like you can get into rapport and to cause a customer to laugh. If you can get them to laugh, you actually end up owning the customer. It's a secret. It's a secret sauce to being able to close these deals and to create a tremendous rapport with a customer. If you can get them to laugh. And so like one of the things I would do is I would sit down with like a, a husband and wife and I would just say, I would start asking them, about, I want to get into rapport with them. So I started asking them, hey, how'd you guys meet? What did it, what, what was it, right? And some point along the journey, like frequently they're trying to re-remember things that happened sometimes a long time ago. How did they connect? How did they meet? And then I, I do, I like to say, I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, so what did you do? You looked over and you saw her and you're like, whoop, whoop. Like, and I started doing this little dance, right? And the customers, like, typically they always laugh. 
it typically always generates a belly chuckle. And when I do that, it's just one of the steps inside this process of causing rapport, causing an individual to like you so that you can start connecting. And so I, I throughout the years, I had practiced several different things trying to figure out what would cause a consistent outcome of somebody laughing. And, and, and I noticed just making that simple joke of, I mean, like, of course, he probably married her because he thought she was good looking, right? And that's and, she, and it flatters her that that's kind of how it was approached. And so, two, I always I look for a way to cause somebody to laugh. Now, as I'm working, this is step number three, as I'm working with this customer, I want to get into rapport. And what do I mean by rapport? Um, I've mentioned this previously. When, when, when you're in rapport, it is almost like you're on a dance you're, you're out on the floor dancing because your bodies start moving in harmony. You just start doing the same similar types of things. And you want to get your body into rapport so that you can connect with the homeowner. Okay? So that's one of the things that I would do. So part of the way you do it is you do mirroring matching. So if they sit back, you sit back. If they lean forward, you lean forward. What you do is you start modeling and you got to, don't make it like super obvious, okay? Don't make it super obvious. It'll drive them nuts. Well, you got to do, but you start modeling how they're holding their body to the point that you actually start getting into rapport with them. And once you hit that, that gives you an opportunity to start leading the customer, being able to do things with your body, and then it would cause them to start follow or following. So this is called getting into rapport. Now, this is what, so we're on step number three. So step number four, here's what you need to know. Decisions are made at the table. A customer will try to get you to sit at the couch. No, a customer will try to get you to, like decisions are made at tables. Like you, you say, look, can we sit at the table? And they'll have a, like a reason for why, maybe not. And I always have like my iPad with me. I'm like, well, it's a lot easier if I can take and I can show you my iPad and I can present to you that way. So if we could sit at the table, that would be more ideal. What I'm doing is I'm setting the stage. I'm setting the stage so that we're in the optimal selling scenario. Okay. And like, kind of what do I mean by this? Like, if you think about it, if you're going to go have a, just an amazing dinner with somebody, like, how would you like to show up? And they just kind of threw the silverware on the table. They just kind of threw the plates on, <laughs> plates on the table and the cups, right? You wouldn't like it. It doesn't set the stage for a really good experience. And, and so what you want to have happen is you want like the, the silverware in a certain place, a plate in a certain place. You want the cup in a certain place. Like you want a napkin. You want like maybe a tablecloth or something, whatever it is is you want this table well well set because you're going to sit down and have this fabulous meal. But if, if as you can see, if, if somebody does not properly set the table, then you do not have a great dining experience. This is the job that you're undergoing, is you're learning how to set the table. This is what we're doing. These are the step-by-steps to set the table. So when... Whenever you sell, you're setting the table. You want increased probability of success. Decisions made are tables. They're not made at couches. They're not made. They're typically not made sitting on porches. You're going to have clients that want you to sit on a porch. They're going to have you sit on a couch. 
They're they're going to do all kinds of stuff. Okay, like you, you sit at the table. Okay, number step number five. I, I'm going to throw in. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to call an audible and add one more step right here. So it's four point five. Make sure before you sit down at the table and you're going to present with this customer to make this sell, you've got to have all parties present. If you do not have, like if a husband's there and he's missing his wife, the deal's dead. But here's what's going to happen. You, you're going to do a tremendous job presenting it, closing it, and or even at the close will say, well, my wife's not here. I can't make this decision. Or it's going to happen. And so you, as the expert, need to make sure that all parties are present. If not, better just to reschedule. They need to know that this is important, that all parties are at the table to have a decision or get a vote on the outcome. So you get all these parties at the table. So now here's step number five. This is, this is one that I, I learned it's called my, making or causing the customer to make a micro commitment. This, this is actually so subtle that you wouldn't think anything of it. It is so subtle, but what it does is it's a psychological trigger that will cause your customer to fall into compliance and start making micro decisions or micro actions based on requests that you're making. And so what I will do is I will take and I will have my iPad and I said, hey, is it possible to connect to your Wi-Fi? And they say, sure. So I slide it over and I let them connect. What happens is, is you're not willing to do that unless there's some sort of trust. They're having to convey trust to you that they actually believe and that they actually trust you. Then what it is is, a sales process is all about helping the customer make micro commitments, micro commitments, micro commitments. And having them take and enter a password into your iPad is a very good way to cause a micro commitment to take place. Now, one of the one of the strategies I heard is like I've heard a, a sales rep would say, you know what? I forgot some important documents in my car. Do you, mind, uh, do you mind if I run out to the car and get it and then I'll just, just let myself back in? That was the one thing that he did in his, his pitch and presentation versus the other one, the other, uh, the other sales guys. And it caused his, like, his closing rate to go up massively because it, 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 they gave him trust in the sense that he, was, he could go to his car and allow himself back into their house. And you think, oh, that's, that's kind of subtle. I know it is, but that's the point. That's the point. It's, it's a micro commitment asking somebody right up front to trust you. And as a result, it causes this to take place. So teeny little psychological event takes place. Okay. Number six, this is, this one is kind of interesting. If, if you were sitting in front of me and we had like say a huge audience, okay. And I said, what percentage of you guys in the audience are interested in buying a car? You know, there's probably only going to be about 3% of you guys that raise your hand. And I say, what percentage of you guys are interested in um, like, you know, tires for a car or shoes or whatever it is? There's only going to be a small percentage of the market that will actually raise their hand. It's usually about 3%. Well, if you want to make sales, you've got to figure out how to get that the, the available people up 
And the way you get the available people up is you start presenting to the customer market information, data. Like, this is, this is a mistake, okay? If you go in and you sit down with your Mr. Prospect and you start spewing, my product is this and my product is that, like, there's a good chance they don't care, okay? There's a very good chance, unless they called you and you've got some special insight and they, like, they probably don't care. In fact, the, the more you probably talk about your product, the less likely you're almost going to make a sell. And so here's what I do. So this is step number six, is I take and I spend time educating my customer about why there, the, the, there's a need for my product. Let me give you an example, okay? If you look inside the, in the United States, when I'm gonna do my solar, I'll share my solar stuff with you because this is, a, this is an area of expertise that I've mastered, but you can apply this to any subject or thing that you're selling. So what people don't realize is when the grid was designed, it was designed to last 50 years, okay? It was only designed to last 50 years. The grid is now 70 years old. It's 20 years past its prime. And what, what's happening is, is across the entire United States, we're seeing significant grid failures taking place. Like you take and look at California, brownouts, blackouts, rolling brownouts, blackouts, it's commonplace. It's very commonplace. You look at Hawaii. Hawaii's grid is so unreliable that it consistently goes out. But you go look across the entire United States, and across the entire United States, it's got the same problem. In fact, the utility companies, they recognize that the grid is fragile. They also recognize that there's, like, like if you noticed, have you noticed, like, how many homeowners have been moving in or how many new houses have been getting built? Substantial amount, right? It's crazy. It's, it's crazy how many people are actually getting new homes. Well, not only that, have you noticed how many new businesses are coming online? It's crazy. But th this is the kicker. Here's the kicker. Have you noticed how many, like, cars, like cars, there's a huge shift in the marketplace with cars because they used to all be fuel-based. But now they are transitioning to electrical-based cars. So what does this mean? What it means is there's, like, you've got a grid that's 20 years past its prime. Now there is increased amount of demand on the grid to be able to, to power more things. And, it, and as more of these cars come online, this is what's triggering more failures. This is what's triggering more brownouts. Blackouts is becoming complete or commonplace. In fact, the utility companies, this is weird, Utility companies will give you a box. It's like a governor. They will stick it and install it on your house on your AC unit. And if you do this, they're going to give you a discount on your power bill. But what it does is it allows them to remotely turn off your air conditioner. Now, you'd say, why would they want you to do that? Well, what happens is, is, is the sun comes up and everybody's house gets hot. Everybody's air conditioner turns on at the same time and pop, 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 all across the valley, all across the United States, all of a sudden, the, the, these, it, there's too much draw taking place, and it causes the grid to fail. And as a result of that, the, the grid not being able to handle it causes these grid failures. And this is, this is like one of the big reasons why people are starting to transition to solar, is because they can, like, look, 
The, the U.S. Department of Energy, they went out and calculated it's going to take $7 trillion to upgrade the grid. That was pre-COVID. That's before like a, 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 a roll of wire used to be 60 bucks. Now it's 180 bucks. It went triple. It went triple. So as you can see, things in the marketplace have changed. And now, now customers have got to decide. Like the utility companies are talking about 10% annual rate increases, like the, the local one is. Um, and what it is, is somebody's got to fund this. Somebody's got to fund the new lines going in. Somebody's got to fund the new capacity going in. Like if you look at all the utility companies, they're actually having to shut down coal-fired power plants. Well, what does this mean? This means that the demand for electricity has never been higher and the available supply of electricity is becoming less. And so like naturally, like California, it's a, it's a now state mandate that any house two years or newer has to have solar on it to be able to deal with this problem. And so what I just shared with you, I didn't talk about solar. Did you notice that? I didn't, I didn't try to say my product is awesome, 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 awesome. What I did is I showed customers things that are taking place in the marketplace so that they could have an aha moment. And I helped them realize that this is the place where solar comes into play because things in the marketplace have changed. I, it was an educational experience. So figure out, but if you, so my point is, is 3% are ready to buy your product. But if you can spend time doing what I just showed you, which is educating the, <coughs> educating the customer, you can bump that up another 7%. So now you're talking to a 10% marketplace. You have just figured out how to help the customer discover a need. Like, I'll give you another example. Um, it's a, like, apparently on carpets. Like, what people don't realize is, you know, you probably should clean your carpets, right? Um, you can vacuum it, but you can get like a thousand percent increase in the cleanliness of your carpet if you were to actually shampoo it, professionally clean it. You say, well, Mike, like, who cares? Why does that matter? That's a good question. So what they've discovered is, is that carpets are filtration systems. They do a tremendous job in helping, like, take spores, things out of the air that would cause you to be sick. But then what it does is it traps, it stores it in there. And so, like, when people will go in and they will gut the carpet out of the house, and they'll say, I don't want carpet no more. Then you will call, you'll see an increase of people getting sick because that was a filtration system. And so if you like, if you're if you're trying to find a way to be healthy, carpet is a very good thing, but it needs to be clean because it, it it's such a powerful filtration that like it's a thousand times, thousand percent better if you actually just use a steam cleaning machine. You see what I mean? I didn't like I wasn't selling necessarily carpet cleaning. I was selling to you the idea that if you want and you care about your health, having carpet is very, very helpful. And having it clean is very helpful to make sure that you don't get sick. You see what I'm talking about? You've got to find, it's like a, it's a smoking gun. What's, what's the smoking gun that's taking place in the marketplace that you can educate your customer on? And if you do that, you will then discover customers become much, much more interested in your product because there's a why behind it. So that's number seven. So number or number six. So number seven is you should 
Preframe your customer, why it's smart to buy. Now, when I say preframe, this is talking about, remember, you ever watch movies and have you noticed that in a movie, they show you something at the beginning to preframe you and then at the end you're like, oh, I can see how this comes into play. Um, they do it all the time in the movies. And so part of my, when I talk about preframing, I like the very fact that I did an educational type um, presentation to the customer. Basically, I'm preframing them, preframing them to understand or precondition to understand that they will need this solar product. And so if you, whatever it is, you've got to find, just look for the things that, like the, the, the end outcome over here, think of things that you can do or you can say or you can put into your presentation that will pre-frame the actual outcome. And a lot of this can actually just be accomplished in like what we did on number step six, which is doing some educational presentation. So step number eight. Um, this, is, okay, now you've got to, as you're going through your presentation, what you've got to do is you got to set the stage. Like as you become more and more expert, you're going to discover customers are going to have, as, as a good, they go through a presentation, there's going to be commonly asked questions. Like it almost happens in the same place every time. And so what you're trying to do is figure out what is it that you could do or you could say that would then plug that hole for the customer so then they don't become overly concerned about this particular thing at a later date. And so you're, you, will, you will purposely and intentionally, here, here, I guess this is what I'm saying, a confused mind will never buy. They, 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 just, they just won't buy. They're probably one of the better examples is my friend Russell Brunson. He said that he, he does, he sells software that helps you build web pages and stuff. Okay. He, he got up on stage and he did this tremendous presentation. And he said to, to this audience, my product is going to work for people who do supplements. My product will work for people who do this. And he named a whole bunch of things. And after the presentation, these girls came up to him. It's like, wow, you did such an amazing job. Like, I wish I could use your product, but I'm in the coaching business. And, and so I, it wouldn't work for me. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm in the coaching business. He goes, I use it all the time. I use it to build like websites, pages, funnels, and all kinds of stuff. And this is how I use it. And they're like, oh, I did not realize it would work for that. And they said, can I have some order forms? And they, all three of them filled out an order form and did a purchase from him right then and there. And what the secret was is he, so after he discovered that, he was like, holy crap, I'm going, getting ready to go do another presentation. So he went into his presentation and he wove into it the actual pieces like, and this will work for people who are in the coaching business, right? And, and so he pre-addressed a concern that would have caused somebody not to buy. And you will discover customers will have concerns that will cause them not to want to buy. And if you know where those at, or those kind of those sticking points, find a way to weave it into or incorporate it into your presentation so that it's presented and it's natural. Because as soon as, like, here's what happens. They're, your customer's going through this timeline, right? And they're going along, listen to your pitch, listen to your pitch, everything's making sense. And then right here, 
seems to be the sticking point. And as soon as they don't understand this thing, really what happens is they kind of turn off their mind. And since it's no longer going to work for them, then as you go through your presentation, like you lost the customer clear back here. And that's the point or that's the issue where you've got to discover where the sticking point is so that you can address inside your presentation at the right time the sticking point that you know that that customer is going to run into. Does that make sense? And so like one of the things I'll like I'll tell my customers is like so that's why what I did is I asked for your utility bill so I could calculate how many like solar panels you need. Like some people need this, some people need less. And, and, and I talk to them and I present to them something of the nature that's like somehow I weave into it. This is why I calculated it this way. Therefore, they don't they don't become confused because like they'll say, oh, yeah, but so-and-so only paid like $5,000 or $10,000 or $30,000 or whatever it is. They'll have these, these some of these comparisons in their head and they will mis misunderstand that what they have is actually different. And so you've got to be able to address that on the timeline. Make sense? Okay. Now let's slide on to uh, number nine. Um, here's here's the, one of the things that you're going to want to do. Um, and and I, I had a greater appreciation for this. I had heard it that facts tell, stories sell. And in the beginning, I noticed that I spent a lot of time um, just explaining facts, facts and data. But... What, what happens is, is you've got to look at the way the human mind is wired in the DNA. Like people could sit there and give you specific data about this and that and this other thing, right? And you're going to completely forgot it. But if you want somebody to remember a thing, you take and you wrap it in a story. That's why you like going to watch movies. That's why you can remember lines in movies. That's why you can remember sections and scenes because they wrapped it into a story. Um, like... Boy, I tell you what, man, like, so somebody will say to me, um, hey, Mike, like, how much maintenance does your solar panels require? And I'll say, you know what? That's a good question. I'm like, look, solar is kind of like wiring in the walls, okay? The best thing to do with solar is do nothing with it. You don't, you don't touch the wiring in the wall. Just leave your solar panels alone. Now, if you wanted to do some maintenance, you could get up there and, and you could take and you could clean the panels off. Here's what I did on mine. So I had my solar for four years. And one day I was, I was on my deck and I was with my wife. I'm like, you know what? We've had our solar for four years and I've never cleaned those solar panels. So what I did is I got my hose and I sprayed it down. And then I got a, a really long squeegee and I just squeegeed it off. I'm like, I am not going to touch that thing for another four years. Like, I don't want to touch it. And when I, told, when I tell that story, I wrap, I wrap what's happening into a nugget or the, the nugget inside a story, and then the customer can remember and retain that information. And so think of that. Every Like if you, if you go back and you listen to this presentation, you're going to discover I will tell stories over and over and over and over because it's the most likely way I can help you understand and convey nuggets to you of value. So wrap it up, put it in a story, boom. That'll work for you. Okay, number 10, trial closes. You will have noticed during this presentation, I did a lot of trial closes. You probably just didn't know what I was talking about. Um, let me give you an example. A trial close 
A trial close is designed to do a temperature check with the customer. Okay, you, you do, instead of just straight up, straight out asking the customer, hey, do you want to buy this thing? Like at the very end of your presentation, do you want to buy this thing? And they're going to be, that's the very first time you're asking them to say yes. What you need on the journey is a whole lot of micro commitments. Yes, 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 yes. And so there was a guy, I think his name is uh, maybe Ted Thomas or Pied Piper. Um, what he, he, one time he did this event where or he, he watched Russell Brunson get up on stage and do this presentation. And when he was done with the presentation, the guy came up to Russell and said, hey, he said, would you, um, would you like to go out to lunch with me? And, he, and Russell's like, dude, one of the best closers in the world is coming to meet with me and he's going to have lunch with me. And when he was sitting there having this lunch with this guy, and this guy was explaining, you know, you know why you didn't get a table rush, why all these people didn't just jump up and buy your product? And he goes, why? He goes, because you only asked them to say yes once. He goes, have you noticed during this whole conversation, have you noticed your head's been bobbing up and down? And he goes, yeah. He goes, because I've made it a habit of asking you questions throughout this entire process that caused you to go like this. Yes, yes, yes. I got your head to bob. And as a result, I took 10,000 yeses before I asked for the big yes. Now you might think, well, wait a minute. Like, is there truth in that? So what they did, Tony Robbins tells a story, this uh, university, they wanted to know if there was truth to this. And so they had, it was like a university setting where they were proposing that they would take and raise the cost of tuition. And the, the, there was two pieces of instruction. Group A and Group B got different instruction. Group A was told to go through this presentation and bob their head up and down. Yes, yes, yes. Not they. I don't know that they told them to say yes, but they said, bob your head up and down. Okay? And then at the end of it, they asked, what percentage you got? They went and said, now what What do you think? You think it's fair that they take and they, they raise the price of tuition? And that group came back unequivocally. Yes, it is fair that they should be able to raise it. They took the other group and they had them doing their head, no, 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 back and forth like this. And then they asked them at the end, what do you think? Should they, they raise it? And the answer was no. They had been preconditioned. And so a trial close is, is I've said this, like, are you getting this? See, that was a trial close. Does this make sense? That was a trial close. Are you getting this? Fact, the fact that you say, are you getting this? He actually walks away with a double meaning. Are you understanding it and are you getting the product? Like, you've got to find trial close, trial close. Hey, is this making sense? Do you see what I'm saying? Does this make sense? Are you getting this? Like, does that make sense? Is that fair? And I will ask questions like that through the whole presentation because I want to see the little head bob up and down. Bobbing up and down is a micro commitment. Yes, you want 10,000 yeses before you complete your presentation because your probability of success goes through the roof. Micro commitment. And if you're cut, you say one of these things and your customer says no, like, dude, you, they did not understand. Time to back up. Time to, you've got to figure out how to get them into a yes state because something along there didn't make sense. In fact, like part of, part of the secret is, is when you, you're trying to, you're trying to uncover customers' questions or concerns because you want to make sure that you're addressing them. You will say to the customer, does that make sense? 
And if they say no, that no, yeah, I got to stop right here. Okay, this didn't make sense. Um, what, where, where did you get stuck? What part, or what part is not not quite clear? And then they'll explain it to you. And then you can explain it to them. Find a way to explain it in a story. Then they'll say, oh, okay, I get it. Now you can carry on with your presentation and you won't get derailed on what you're doing, okay? So there you go. That is step number um, customer. Okay, good night. I've got a lot of steps. Transfer nuggets, okay. Trial closes. Okay, so we're on 11, number 11. Okay, I'll remember this. Number 11, this is one of my secrets, okay? When you're sitting there with Mr. Prospect or Mrs. Prospect, find a way to give them like bump knuckles, give them high five, yeah, does that make sense? Boom, yeah, it makes sense. What it does is it triggers happy endorphins. Get them little happy endorphins running inside because, because happy people tend to buy. You put them to sleep, you knock them out, you're dead. You gotta find a way to bring jazz to the table. You'll see when I when I do presentations, I will be like this. I will put my arms clear up in the air. I will start talking and moving my hands, and I will like this, and I will go like that, and I will I will point my hands and move my hands in many many directions, because I do not want to play small. Okay, so find. But I would do is I would find a way to high five, give them some knuckles. Yeah, you getting that? Boom, that makes sense, right? And you, you'll, you'll take and you'll release happy endorphins. You'll cause them to be in a happy state. Happy state leads to yeses. So number 12. This one is, you've heard it, and I'm, and I'll have to, I'm going to wrap up some nuggets around this one so you get, you get it. So it's keep it simple, stupid. I, boy, did, I've heard that for my whole life. But I'm telling you, I did not completely appreciate it or completely understand what it meant to keep it simple. I'll give you an example. When I first started off selling solar, in the very, very beginning, I, I actually had some leads. I was successful. Like, I, I actually was closing deals. And then as time went on, all of a sudden, I couldn't sell it anymore. I, I lost the mojo. I, I literally lost the secret recipe, and I had absolutely no idea why. And it wasn't until... It actually wasn't until about a year later as I was going through training and I was spending time learning that I discovered what happened. What happened is, is because I became more educated. I became more knowledgeable about the products. And as a result, I would say to the customer, I, <coughs> excuse me, I use this product versus that product because, and then I would start dropping like techno babble or, or like technical specifications and stuff on it. But here's what happens. When you start doing that, what you're going to do is you're going to trigger inside their mind a need and a requirement to obtain more information. Mr. or Mrs. Prospect now has to go do their own homework to discover if that thing makes sense for them and if they are making the correct choice. Boy, like when people get solar for me, here's what I do. I make sure that I come up with a very solid product, a product that will serve them very, very well. And I do not get down into all of the details about this product unless the customer asks me. And so they'll say, hey, Mike, what, you know, what's the length of the warranty? Mike, uh, 
these, these, like, these panels are ridiculous. They have 25 year warranty. I'm like, like, that's crazy, right? You see what I just said? That's crazy, right? Did trial curls or trial clothes on you. Like, I mean, how many products can you name with a 25 year warranty on? See, not very many, right? It's crazy. That I mean, I don't know. But here's the secret. If you put those bad boys up on your roof, the best thing to do is do nothing with them. All they have to do is produce power. They have one job. They don't make blue light. They just produce electricity. And you keep it simple. I didn't go down into the panel type. I don't go into the inverter type. I don't explain the wiring. I don't explain how you wire the thing to the house. In fact, if you ask somebody that was buying a house, do you want me to explain how we're going to wire this house and put every two by four in place and attach the lights and how, how we're going to pour your concrete and do the, the post tension slab and blah, blah. Dude, you're just, you're going to lose them. And then they're going to go, oh, I got to go study slab and concrete. Now I got to go figure out wiring to make sure I get the right gauges. Like, dude, you're going to kill it. Like I did it. I did it. I, the more intelligent I got, the less, the less money I made. In the beginning, when you're stupid about your product, you will make more money than when you start becoming educated. Now, there was some advantage to becoming educated because as, more pro as, as you keep it simple and you do this presentation, okay, your customer, most of the time, if, if you do it right, they'll glide right through it. But sometimes they'll get hung up on a technical thing. So I will answer that particular question, but I do not dive deeper. I do not fish out more things that they, they could ask about or you will kill yourself. Okay. Like just, just keep that in mind. The more, the more a person thinks that they've got to do research and discover how this thing works, the less money you will make every single time. It's like, it's like clockwork. I can just guarantee it'll happen to you. Okay. All right. Um, keep it at the fourth. So like that's, Kind of the point of that is to keep it at a fourth grade level presentation. Um, maybe I'll touch on that a little bit. Like when they've done presidential races, they're trying to figure out like the presidents, the God, the, the people that were running for president, like what grade level did they speak at the ones that won? And the most common answer is, is it was a fourth grade level. Whenever somebody got into talking with bigger words and and they started using bigger words and it got confusing. It was, it was a high school and eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade level or whatever. Dude, they never win. Like, because people get confused. You just got to keep it simple enough that people can actually understand it. So, okay. So that was number 12. So we'll slide off to number 13. Ah, now 13. This is, this is one of my secret weapons. It has been very, very effective. Okay. When, when you present, okay, so you present your product to the customer. And so now, now they've got, now they understand that they have a need to buy it because you've educated them, you've done all the stuff, you've done trial closes. So then I'll present to my customer an offer. And I'll say, so here's this offer right here. And then what I'll do is I'll say, now here's what I know. Like on my solar stuff, I'll say, you need, you need 20 panels. Okay. Now, Here's, here's what I know. Every time I put solar on somebody's house, so like my dad, for example, we put solar up on my dad's house. I'm saying, see, I'm doing a story with you, and I'm going to do some trial closes. So we put solar up on my dad's house. And the thing I discovered is as soon as my dad discovered that electricity was very cheap, 
What my dad did is he then, he, instead of using a swamp cooler, he had a swamp cooler and an air conditioner. He's like, screw the swamp cooler. I'm just going to run the AC. And I was like, huh, dude, he changed his lifestyle. My dad all of a sudden started keep consuming more electricity. And I've seen this with clients where, like, I, we put the solar on their house based on where they're at. And then they go finish their basement. And then they're like, hey, Mike, like, I, I'm, I needed more power. Uh, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you're right. You did need more power. Um, or they'll buy an electric vehicle. Or they'll take and buy a new fridge. Like, do you have any intention? Like, what, what appliances? Are, can you think of anything else that you're going to buy? Are you going to finish your basement? Are you going to, like, what do you set your AC at? You set it at 77. Like, if cost wasn't a big deal, what would you set it at? And they're like, I'd set it at 70 degrees. Yep, that's what I'd, yep, that's pretty much, I've seen that across the board. People will start, once it's cheap. Once you could, like, during COVID, like, when nobody was going anywhere, gas was cheap. I did not care about driving. At two bucks a gallon, I was like, everywhere, right? But at $4, I was like, what? Like, wow. It was a shock, right? So now you're like, I need to, like, I need to take and, like, group these things together when I go shopping, okay? When it's cheap, you're going to use a ton of it. And that's what we're doing on your electricity. And so here, typically, customers usually add two to four additional panels more. And so based on what the customer then tells me, I'll say, you know what, you probably ought to get two or you probably ought to get four. I'm like, you know, which one would you prefer? And they will then tell me which one they prefer. And as soon as they tell me which one they prefer, they have made a buying decision. Did you see what just happened? I'm going to go ahead and assume the sell. But the way I went about doing it, I did it through a method of a trial close where I said, three options, tell me which option you want. And they said, I want this one. See, if they would have said, I don't want any of them, then I know I got a problem. But because there was a cadence, because it already made sense, it already made sense mentally, emotionally, it already made sense logically, it already made sense. I will present these options, they will tell me which one it is, I'm like, cool. I will then literally start filling out the paperwork, okay? Um, anyway, so it looks like I kind of skipped ahead a little bit because there was a couple more steps to this. So I present the three options. So step number 14, this is an upsell. I have been able to make, when I present these other offers, I have been able to increase my sales substantially by literally just doing the upsell, just presenting them another offer because most of the people in my space do not do it. They screw it up. In fact, they actually like to short customer solar panels. So the customer at a later date is actually pissed off because they not only did they not have enough power for what they needed, but they couldn't cover what they wanted. So they actually wound up short. So like, anyway, keeping my customers happy, I give them the option to go plus up. So number 15, and this is really, really weird. Like it's it, it's it's so cool that you're gonna be like, are like Mike? Is that for real? Like it's for real. So here's what happens. Um, I tell the customers that 95% of people go with this option, and because I say that 95% of people go with this option, I create a social proof inside their mind, and because 95% of people went with option, you know, B and C they therefore know 
that that is the smart decision to make. Therefore, they do the same thing. It's social proof that upsells my upsell. You see what I'm saying? It's crazy. And what it is, is it's creating my own market momentum, my own market action. The very fact, like if I didn't as tell people 95% bought it, they probably would stick with the lower one. But because I tell them 95% of people do it, 95% of people do it, therefore, they're part of the 95%. It was the craziest thing I discovered when I did that. Um, and so just you, you put it out there, you create your own momentum by, by putting that piece into the play. All right, so that was number 15, telling them using the social proof, 95% of people go with this option. You'll see it on web pages all the time. You look at it, they'll lay three options out. That's where I really saw it is I saw they would option A, B, and C, and then they would say best choice, most popular, or something. They're pre-framing you. They're, they're, they're conditioning your mind to buy their upsell. Like, I guess it's what's, what, it's what's happening, okay? I just used the same thing inside my presentation, and it worked like magic. Um, okay. So, okay, so then this is uh, step number 16. Once they tell me which option they want, I literally just start filling out the paperwork. I assume the sell. Now, while I'm doing the sell, this slides into step number 17, which is I continue to hold a conversation with the customer. I continue to ask questions. Now, you might say, Mike, how is it that you can fill out paperwork at the same time you have a conversation with the customer? I engage the customer in part of it. I'm like, okay, so you're, let me make sure you got your first name correct. This is it, right? Get your last name correct, right? That, and then I start, I literally start doing an order form filling it out. It's a secret. It's the, it's the order form closed. I literally just start filling it out. And while I'm working on certain parts of it, while I'm working on certain parts of it where I'm not really asking them a, like a question to help me fill this out, I will keep asking questions and keep a conversation going. It's tricky. You have got to make sure that you fill out that application 100% correct. You do not want to go back. What do I mean by this? Think of, think of a piece of iron, okay? When you heat that metal up or that blade up, you'll take and you'll start bending that thing. You'll, maybe you're trying to make a knife and you bend that thing and you condition that thing and you're smacking that thing. You are putting that thing in an exact shape that you want. And as soon as you cool that metal off, boy, she's going to harden right where you left her. And you do not want to go back and try to retemper that steel. You, you prime it once, nail it, and close it. And so it is very important that you fill that application out right. Because if there is any reason that an application is incorrect and it will cause you to go back or kill yourself, you've just shot yourself in the foot. I'm not saying you won't get it. I'm not saying you won't close it. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying, it is a stupid move not to get it right. But it is also a stupid move not to keep your customer in a conversation. And here's why. If, if, if the customer starts having, they're making a commitment. What you, what you know about the human psychology is people do not like to make decisions. They don't. They'll put it off. They'll punt it. They'll kick it down the road. They'll, I want to talk to my wife. I want to talk to my husband. I want to, I want to sleep on it. I want to pray about it. I even had a couple one time that says, Mike, we want to pray about it. I'm like, go ahead. They're like, well, yeah, might as well. I mean, might as well get the answer now. 
So they ran upstairs. They did their little prayer. Came back downstairs. We're good. Like, okay, we're good. Like, people will caught. Like, if you if you leave the house and you don't have a sale, you're dead. Probably just told you the last one. Um, no, looks like I need to do 17 and a half. Okay. Um, anyway, so they'll start going through their mind looking for reasons not to buy. So I call it keeping their head swimming. I keep them. I keep them happy. I keep them cheerful. I keep them. I keep them in a very good state. The only the only association I want a customer to have with me is they love me. They like me. We get along. I help them. I do all kinds of stuff. We do not have negative associations with us. And if I create a a space where they're not feeling good, they're not feeling the love, they're not feeling this stuff. They can allow themselves to get into doubts and start trying to talk themselves out of your product. You do not want your customers doing that. And so I will fill out my paperwork and I will keep them in a dialogue so that that does not happen. Okay. This is number, we're going to do 17 and a half because I, I can see one that I meant to have here. 17 and a half is like when you're present, you got to close that deal. Okay. You need to exhaust all options. Like if the customer says, we're going to think about it and, and you're, you're supposed to come back. Okay. Look, if you buy that, you didn't make any money like that. People like a sales rep who buys into that BS that they're going to think about it, marinate on it, all kinds of stuff. Like if you buy into that, you're, you're going to be a broke person. You will not be successful unless you're like, okay, Mr. Customer. Like I had this one, this guy, it was funny. He was a life insurance salesman and he sat down and he did this presentation similar to what I just went through with you. Okay. And at the end of it, he says, okay, Mr. Prospect, let's get you signed up for this one right here. And so the customer's like, well, we like, we need to talk about this together. And uh, cause we never make decisions right here, right now. And he says, that's fair enough. He reached down into his bag. He pulled out a newspaper. He plopped it up and he sat back and he started reading the newspaper. And, and the customer was like, huh? They're looking at him. They're like, he's like, what, what are you doing? And he goes, you says, you said you need a chance to talk about it. And he says, go ahead. Then they're like, no, no, no. Like, not with you present. We're going to talk about this later. And he goes, you're, go ahead. Like, feel free. He goes, I'll just go ahead and read my newspaper where you guys discuss this and, and talk it over. And he had a junior sales rep with the guy. And the guy was absolutely mortified that this guy had pulled out a paper and he had done that. He's like, that's like a high pressure sales tactic, closing, blah, 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 blah. After they left the house and, and the junior brought us up to the senior sales guy, the senior sales guy goes, look, he goes, we're selling to these guys life insurance. What if he was to kill over tonight or tomorrow? Like how grateful do you think they would be that you helped them make a decision that was actually a very good decision for them? He's like, you're not, you're not doing things to people. You are helping people. When you have a product that is good, you have, you have a moral obligation to do everything in your power to help this, pus, the, this individual have your product. Okay, It's not high-pressure sales. What it is is it's helping people make good decisions that help them. 
Like if your product sucks, you probably shouldn't do anything of that nature because you're not helping them. But if you've got a product that you know for a fact that will actually help your customer, like you got an obligation to help them, okay? So like if a customer gives, says, I'll come back or go back, like, dude, and you buy that, you're, you're going to be broke. Like you can't buy that. You're going to get that so often that it's going to drive you nuts. That's fact. That's why I'm going to do a troubleshooting guide on the next podcast where I can show you how do you get past sales that are stuck because they will get stuck. And if you do not know how to overcome these things, you will be broke and you will be hungry. Okay. So don't, don't, don't buy into that. Like there's two people like either your confidence wins or their doubts win. But like that is really how it works. Okay. So number 18. Um, you, you ask for referrals. In fact, this is what I do. I sit down with Miss, Mr. or Mrs. Prospect. They're, they're getting solar from me. And, and I, I, I literally pull out a book. I pull this book out. And inside this book, there's page after page after page after page after page that has referrals on it. Like people literally wrote down, go see so-and-so. And I take and I pull this out and I fan it to them. That way... I'm pre-framing them to understand, like, yeah, these are all the referrals. These are all the people that I've been able to help this year. And these are the people that they asked me to go help. In fact, the reason I'm probably sitting here with you is because so-and-so put your name down and suggested that I come and talk to you. And so, but I will deliberately and intentionally fan that thing out. So then when I put in front of them, I want them, like, I want them to know that this is an expectation. And one of the things that I will do is I will pull out and on my phone, I'll say, look, this is how much, and I make it public, I do it mine inside demo. This is how much money I've given back to my customers off of referrals. I, I intentionally compensate my customers for their referrals. Um, I'm probably one of the only ones that do it. And then I've got pictures. I show them with a briefcase of cash. This is me with cash giving them money. And so I will pre-frame them so that they know. I'm setting expectations that I expect to get five referrals. I'm like, can you name five individuals that I should go see? And here's what you're going to discover. People are going to like, I don't, I don't know five people. You're like, well, do you work with people? Yeah, you got to jog your memory. Do you go to church with people? Do you live by people? Do you like that guy? Do you like this person across the street? Any of these people you like, do you... Do you like your parents? Do you like your siblings? Do you like, like, what you're going to do is you're just going to jog their memory. Like about people that they like, people that they connect, people that they know. And if you do that, you will then discover that they can then now come up with lists of people that you can go see. And so one of the things that I do, um, looks like I'm going to add section number 19 or 19 to this thing. Boy, my list is getting bigger because I'm remembering more as I, as I go through this. So when they give me that list, like one of the things that I do is I will concentrate in locations to be able to generate my sales because I hate driving across the entire state. What a waste of time, especially if you go out there and somebody stiffs you. They will give me typically people inside a location in which I'm interested in operating. And I'll say, cool, like I'll go see these people or I'll go, I'll connect with them or whatever. But if you've got these other people, and I'm, I'm talking about when you actually have to physically be in their, their, their 
go to their house or whatever it is. Like if, if, if it's something that you're very able to call and you don't need to be present, um, I'm talking more of a one-on-one. Yeah, I'm talking more of a one-on-one sell. And what I mean is, is you, you do not want to drive across the entire state to get stiffed by somebody. And so people that are local in the area, I will go take care of it and I will, I will t- work those leads and all that stuff. And I'll tell them, hey, these ones right here, they're, they're outside the area I typically operate in. If you, so go ahead, just contact them, let them know, see if they're interested in what I'm doing. Because if you reach out to them and contact them and they're interested, I'll, I'll definitely go see them. I will go help them. But I do that absolutely intentionally because I want, I want them to know on those particular referrals that it's up to them to do the reach out. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Two trial clothes on you, just like that. Okay. So that's there therein lies the looks like probably 20 steps or secrets to being able to close these deals. What we're gonna literally what we're gonna jump into on this next podcast. I'm just gonna give you a little heads up. Is I'm gonna break down, let me pull this up. It's I'm gonna give you 10 like 10 steps to be able, it's a troubleshooting guide on how to be able to get past the hurdles that you're going to run into in, in, in like trying to set your appointment and hurdles that you're going to run into and trying to close it so that you can advance the sale. It's going to be a very important podcast. I'm, I'll, I'll go into it. I'll start, I'll start breaking this thing down so that you can see it. But literally, the, the big thing I want you to pull from this. Now, listen to this podcast 10,000 times, whatever it is, just... Like, I, I did not put a line item on this thing that was not a gold nugget. There is not, when I said that there was like, I started off with 18, now I, I added 20. There is not a single item on this list that I provided to you that is not a gold nugget. Every one of these were earned, fought for, discovered, uncovered, and once I figured it out, it enhanced my ability to sell. Like, when I meet with clients, 95% of the time they buy, okay? It's just the way it is. and But it's not until I figured out how to weave these gold nuggets into it. I literally gave you the secret sauce on how to sell your product successfully and consistently. That's the important thing is nail it consistently. And then I'll go into the troubleshooting guide to show you how to get past these bumps in the road that will pop up. I know this podcast was a little bit longer than... Maybe I would intentionally try to make it, but it is too important and it will help you too much if you just understand it. So we will close this Rags the Riches Secrets and I will talk to you tomorrow.